So Leviticus 24, 10 to 23. Uh, just to bring you up to speed, if you kind of haven't been with us for the whole series, Israel have been learning what they need to do in order to be made holy before God. They need to be clean and they need to make animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. And that's kind of the start of the um, book. And towards the end, we've just, uh, the last kind of four or five chapters of Leviticus are sort of putting it into practice, this new way of living, this new sacrificial system that means they can dwell with God and they're now sort of putting it into practice. And this is part of their putting it into practice. So chapter 24, verse 10. Um, Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse, so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemeth, the daughter of Dibri the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, Anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether foreigner or native-born, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures their neighbour is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native-born. I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the Israelites, and they took the blasphemers outside the camp and stoned him. The Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. Um, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5. Flick over if you want, don't have to. And the verses 38 to 48. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It seems Jesus here is contradicting the Old Testament, but of course he's not. He's fulfilling the Old Testament, but we're going to need God's help to help us understand this, so let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for all of it, we thank you for the Old Testament, for the New Testament. Lord, we thank you for Leviticus and the words of Jesus to us here in Matthew. Lord, help us to understand these passages so that we might 
apply it to our lives and live more uh, God-honouring lives. Uh, Lord, we want to see you glorified in ourselves. So we pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let me put a pin in that. Well, we're on the home stretch, friends. Second last sermon in Leviticus. There's only one to go next week uh, from Ben. And then we are done. I don't know about you, I've found Leviticus to be um, fascinating. I found it to be really enriching, enriching. It's deepened my understanding of the person and work of Jesus. And I've also found it very heavy going, I'll be honest. Um, it's been dense and lots of mind work. It's been hard, but it's been great. No small part of me is looking forward to our next series in Ephesians, which I dare say won't be quite as heavy lifting, but I've really loved and benefited from studying Leviticus. And I think it's been helpful to understand how it fits into the Old Testament. So because we've been doing such heavy lifting and we've only got one sermon to go next week, I want to keep this sermon brief. Um, Now, despite appearances, this little section of God's Word is very relevant to us here today. It's a critical part of God's Word, as it all is. And unsurprisingly, it's very applicable to the situation we find ourselves in today with the COVID restrictions lifting on every public gathering in our society except places of religion. Um, I'm pretty cranky, to be honest, about the fact that restrictions have lifted further on every public gathering um, except for our church and all religious gatherings, including mosques and the like. And all religious leaders of, across the spectrum are petitioning the government as we speak and have been the last week or so. And I really hope it has an impact and I'm praying. It was with twofold bitterness that I watched the NRL preliminary final last night as no less than 30,000 people sat next to each other, cheering and spitting on each other and spilling their beer on each other. And most tragically, the Penrith Panthers defeated Trevor's beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs and Braylon's beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs. It was a dark night last night as I watched the preliminary final. Uh, Increasingly, friends, Christians are being discriminated against at the highest levels in our society, in Australia. Um, for possibly the first time ever for the last couple of hundred years. The last 10 to 20 years have seen a rapid increase in discrimination against Christians. God's name is being blasphemed by our government as abortion laws were softened last year, as euthanasia laws are hastened, um, certainly in Tasmania. And as the church is told to minimise how many people can meet and told not to sing, despite business as usual seemingly being the case in all other facets of our society. It made perfect sense for a time, but now as things seem to be easing everywhere else, they don't seem to be easing uh, in our church. And I'm not overly surprised because it's the way our society is heading. As our socialist agenda continues to gain momentum, the government is unwittingly biting the hand that feeds it the hand being God's hand. Did you know, you probably did, but did you know that our laws were founded on Judeo-Christian values? I'm sure you did. And they're still based on Judeo-Christian values. I found a paper written two years ago by a law professor. He's got all sorts of 
degrees and pieces of paper, uh, letters to his name. His name's Dr. Zimmerman, and he wrote a very helpful summary of what I basically knew already, but he fleshed it out a lot for me, which was helpful, so I thought I'd pass on a few pieces of his paper. It wasn't particularly long, but much too long to read out in a sermon. So I'll give you, give you the highlights. Um, he did a paper on the reality that Christian law is, uh, that Australian law is based on Christianity. He did this paper two years ago. It's not very old. Um, the Reverend Richard Johnson, you should know that name if you don't. That's okay, but remember this name. The Reverend Richard Johnson, the first evangelical pastor in Australia in February 3, 1788, he said this, he said, I do not address you as churchmen or dissenters, Roman Catholics or Protestants, as Jews or Gentiles, but I speak to you as mortals, and yet immortal. The gospel proposes a free and gracious pardon to the guilty, cleansing to the polluted, healing to the sick, happiness to the miserable, and even life for the dead. Our country was founded on the Christian religion, and it was also founded on the idea that no one needs to be forced into this religion but this religion is available to everyone. There is a freedom of religion in our country from day one. You are free to worship your God and you are free not to, but our country was based on Christian values. Governor Macquarie in 1815, quote, believed that Christian principles would render the next generation dutiful and obedient to their parents and superiors, honest, faithful and useful members of society. He considered these principles indispensable both for liberty and for a high material civilization. So Henry Parks was Premier of New South Wales from 1815 to 1896, 81 years. He believed Christianity comprised an essential part of the country's legal system. I could go on with a history lesson, but it wouldn't be a brief sermon anymore, so I'll stop. Zimmerman concludes that it's curious that Christian practices still deeply permeate Australia's legal institutional traditions, even to this very day. Prayers are still conducted, at least they were two years ago, correct me if it's changed in the last two years, um, prayers are still conducted prior to opening proceedings at both state and federal parliaments in Australia. Has that changed, anyone, last two years? Don't know? No. Um, standing orders for the House and Senate determine the Speaker must read a prayer for Parliament followed by the Lord's Prayer before calling the first item of business. This is in state and federal parliament. And he concludes by saying this, strangely, however, the Christian foundations of our constitutional democracy now appear to be increasingly doubted, suppressed, even denied. Since Australian society is normally viewed as entirely secular and multicultural, our Christian legal heritage is almost never mentioned, much less appreciated in political and intellectual discourse in this country. Despite the best efforts of secularists to suppress the truth about our rich Christian heritage, it is simply impossible to deny that our legal system has a distinct Christian philosophical foundation that has prevailed to the present day. It is blasphemy that we are denying God's rightful rule, and it is to bite the hand that feeds, given our country, which is great, and has uh, an education system and a health system which was started by Christi Christian people. We have them to thank. We're biting the hand that feeds by denying God and Christianity and trying to drive it out of our land. 
blasphemy. You see, the heart of blasphemy, you see, is not swearing using Jesus' name. That is a symptom of a heart turned against God that denies God's rule. That is blasphemy, to deny God's rule and certainly to deny his existence. If our society today was an Israelite in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, it would be led out of town and stoned to death because that is the punishment for blasphemy in Leviticus 24. And we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about why that's the case. So take a look again at your passage in Leviticus. Open Leviticus 24 back up again, uh, if you've closed it or if you moved to Matthew. We're going to have a, a look here and understand what's going on. Now, if you look there, verses 10 to 16 are actually the first time we've had narrative in Leviticus since chapter 10, when Nadab and Abihu kind of wandered into the sanctuary willy-nilly and got struck dead by the Lord. We haven't had any narrative since then. Now, if you look at your Bible, you see the narrative of verses 10 to 16 then concludes in verse 23, and it's punctuated by law in verses 17 to 22. Can you see that in your Bible? So there's this 10 to 16, and then there's this kind of law insert, and it jumps down to verse 23 with the conclusion of... Then Moses spoke to the Israelites who took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him. So let me read the narrative bit again, and then I'll explain it. I'm just going to read the narrative bit, 10 to 16 and 23. Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites. A fight broke out and the king started a fight between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name, that is blasphemed God's name, with a curse they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dibri the Denite. This, this is a true person in history. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head. And the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether a foreigner or a native born, when they blaspheme the name, they'll be put to death. Verse 23, then Moses spoke to the Israelites. They took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him. The Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. This seems extreme. Well, maybe it seems extreme to you. It seemed extreme to me when I first read it. It's not, though if you know what's good for the community. So we read here the guy is not a um, true Israelite, he's mixed, his dad's Egyptian, his mother's Israelite, he's a troublemaker, he's picked a fight, the fight's ensued and he's blasphemed God's name, that's it, denied God's rightful rule over Israel and in doing so, he endangers the entire community. For God is the rightful ruler. We've seen what God is capable of for those who disobey him. When Nadab and Abihu went into the most holy place, unlawfully they were struck dead by a holy God. So the Israelites know what God is capable of. This, to deny God's rightful rule over them, is a serious crime. This guy is spitting in God's face. He's endangering the whole community. Therefore... The whole community worked together to deal with it and the punishment is death. Does that make sense? 
It's a serious crime because they, they don't want to get God offside. He's literally risking everyone's life if they keep him around. But then there's this little kind of interjection in the text that explains to us stoning someone to death is not the typical type of justice. It's not the usual type of justice. It's reserved for someone who's blaspheming God. And then we get this explanation in 17 to 22 of your typical type of justice. Typical justice applies when a person has wronged another person rather than blaspheming God. So on the screen, um, and you can see I've, I've set it up on the screen as it comes to us in the text. This section of text forms what's known as a chiasm. There's chiasms all over the Bible, all over the place. Leviticus itself, the whole book, forms a chiasm around the Day of Atonement in chapter 16 and many argue... I think I agree that the whole first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, form a chiasm around the Day of Atonement in Leviticus. So we see a chiasm. I've coloured the bits so kind of you can see how they match up. Anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. And then we've got the kind of core of the chiasm. Anyone who injures their neighbour is to be injured in the same manner. It's like a summary. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who's inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution. Whoever kills a human being is put to death. So 9 and 20 give us like a summary of the law. You're to have the same law for a foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. So, verses 17 and 21, anyone who murders someone is to be killed themselves. Anyone who kills someone's animal must replace it, like for like, they must make restitution. So, the heart of the law then is in verses 19 and 20, anyone who injures their neighbour is to be injured in the same way, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. What this is teaching is the penalty must fit the crime. The penalty must fit the crime. It mustn't be too light and it mustn't be too heavy either, the penalty. It doesn't necessarily mean if you poke someone's eye out, yours is to be poked out as well, but the punishment must fit the severity of the crime. And we, by and large, maintain that system in our law courts today, or at least we try to, and yes, it's a constant source of frustration for police officers, but that's another conversation do their job and take it to the judge and then yeah anyway that's the kind of theory in our law courts that the punishment must fit the crime my appraisal of today's society is more that if you hurt me or someone i care about i want to repay that tenfold on you if you break my finger i want to break your arms and legs i feel like that's kind of the law of our land and culture um, and the way things go. I mean, that's not new. Genesis chapter 4. Lamech says, I've killed a man for wounding me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. If you take out Lamech's eyeball, well, he wants 77 eyeballs in return. I suspect this is the mantra of many Australians. And clearly was the mantra of many Israelites. Hence, they instituted this law. 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It must be equivalent. If your crime is small, then the punishment must be small. It mustn't be severe. If your, punish, if your crime is severe, well, the punishment then must be severe. Something which basically remains today. And there's an equity of justice for the resident and for the foreigner. Foreigners cannot come to Australia and commit crimes and get away with it, nor can Australian commit crimes against foreigners when they're here visiting. The law's the same for the native-born and for the foreigner. However, Leviticus 24, if you deny the name, if you blaspheme against God, you must be stoned to death. That is a very severe crime. The most severe crime is to blaspheme against God. He is their provider. He is their giver. He is their protector. You can't deny him or you put everyone in danger. So have a think, how do, we, how do we apply that law today? As Christians, how do we apply that law today in our society? How do we apply it in our church? How do we live it out as Christians if that's not the law of our land? What do we do then? We're going to look at an example of a man in the Bible who was accused, wrongfully accused of blasphemy and then led outside of the camp and executed. So I'm going to flick over to John. You can too if you want, but I'm going to put it on the screen as well so you don't need to. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 22. Here it is. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. I found it really helpful the other week when Nick pointed out how Jesus' life lined up with all the festivals so well. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I am God, he says. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Second time. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. In John chapter 20, they succeeded in arresting Jesus. They managed to unlawfully get a conviction that he committed a crime and deserves death. And then with the okay from the Romans, Jesus was led out of the camp and he was crucified for the crime of claiming to be God. Ironically, he is God. His claim was true. But it was all God's plan. 
Jesus was killed that day in order that Leviticus might be fulfilled in him. The great irony is that although they said he deserved death, his death provided life for all who would put their trust in him. The blood of bulls and goats and doves and pigeons could not ultimately atone for sin, but Jesus comes, the one great lamb who died for all, the scapegoat, the great high priest. In him, ultimate justice is found as the punishment that we deserve for our sins is taken upon him willingly. He willingly takes the punishment the proper punishment, which is death. Our crime of sin is severe. The punishment is death. Jesus takes that upon himself and justice is done. In Jesus, we find our true source of truth and justice. And this is the source of justice that our culture is rejecting. As our culture more and more blasphemes the name. As we continue to reject Christ as a culture, we will continue to degrade into unrecoverable immorality. Hence the severity of the punishment for the Israelite who blasphemes the name. The whole community is at stake if you reject God. Our culture is committing the great crime of Leviticus 24... And as they drive out God, unwittingly our culture is going to drive out justice. There will be no justice. There can be no justice without God. Justice comes from God. Our brothers and sisters in China, there's no justice for them. God's been driven out. They worship in secret in a communist regime that has little regard for individual rights. That's what happens when you drive out God. At the heart of the erosion of morality and justice in our culture is the denial of the rightful rule of our King Jesus. So what are we going to do, Christian brothers and sisters and friends? What do we do? Well, three things, I reckon. First is be Christ-like and trust God to be God. Trust that Our society can't actually drive God out. God's king. He's in control and nothing can change that. Certainly not our culture in its folly. Jesus teaches us as his followers how to respond in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you've just read that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is there. God is sovereignly ruling over the evil and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous. So 
Whew, take a big breath, relax. God's still in control. Despite what our society's doing, God's still in control. So ours is not to seek justice. Ours is not to take arms against the government and force them to increase the restrictions on our church so we can have more people in here and so we can sing. Ours is to love our enemies and pray for them. Doesn't mean being a doormat. Doesn't mean accepting continued abuse. But it does mean we don't seek revenge. We allow God to bring about justice. The government may very well choose to persecute us. I expect it to increase. But we will preach the gospel in any way we can. And the gospel will prevail. The Bible promises that. We need not be afraid. The gospel will prevail. Jesus is actually king, friends. <laughs> Despite, no matter how much our culture denies Jesus' lordship, it's still true. The Pharisees denied that Jesus was God, but they were wrong. Three days later, he rose from the grave, proving them wrong. And he rules today as king. I think it's silly in our culture to expect justice <laughs> in a culture that's driving out god and driving out christianity don't expect justice expect justice to decrease certainly for christians in a culture that drives out christianity they can't be justice because christ is the source of true justice to reject God is to throw justice and morality out the window, whether our culture realises it or not. And I take it at the moment, it doesn't realise it. And there's nothing productive or godly about getting annoyed or frustrated or angry, inventing our frustrations. Rather, know that God is God, He's still in control. Trust in Him to be just and to bring about justice. Love your neighbour and your enemies. And pray for them. The Israelites were so rightfully scared of God's justice, they would stone a blasphemer to death. We not need be, we need not be afraid. We are in Christ, and God is just, and He will bring about His justice. We know that the Israelites knew that. So we should pray a lot. We should pray for mercy, God's mercy upon Australia. We started as a Christian nation with Christian heritage and strong Christian roots right into the government and that has eroded and it's eroding rapidly. We need to pray. Pray for our governments. We pray for our government every month. We need to pray. It's only by God's grace that we're saved. It's only by God's grace that they're going to change. We must take the good news of the gospel into every corner of our being and our family our neighbourhoods and our country. We must take the gospel forward and help people see that Jesus is Lord. Forgiveness is freely available. We must pray for God's grace to spill forth in our country, in our land, for us to return to our Christian roots and once again submit ourselves as a nation to Jesus' rule. And what a glorious day that would be. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you join me? Lord, we pray for mercy upon the citizens and governments of Australia. We know that in so many ways we ignore you, deny your very existence as a nation. Lord, forgive us and change our hearts. 
Incline our hearts to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus, help us to be people who trust in your justice, trust in the timing of your justice, and who love others, even those who hate us, just as Jesus did. Loving Father, we again pray for the McCorkendales. We pray that their plans to return to Cambodia might be brought to fruition early in the next year. Please bless those plans. We pray for them as they're here, that they'll uh, be able to self-motivate, be productive in their language learning, help them to grow together as a family, help the children to cope with the uncertainty and ambiguity of being here in Australia, in school temporarily, with friendships temporarily, help them to cope with that well. We pray for Cambodia. Lord, we pray for the nation there, which has um, been the victim of terrible flooding recently. Lord, we pray that you'll help them with the cleanup. We pray that the gospel will go forth. Lord, we pray for Phnom Penh Bible School, that it might be able to open, stay open, and that your gospel will be taught there. Gracious God, we pray for the work of compassion and thank you for all who uh, we're able to sponsor as a church and pray you might grow us uh, in our love and generosity towards children who find themselves living in poverty, often in persecution. Lord, we pray for mercy upon them. We pray that you uphold the work of compassion, which at this point in time, with uh, travel restrictions, would be desperately difficult. Please uphold compassion. Father of all compassion, we pray for the sick. Please heal them. We pray for those with disabilities. Please care for them and empower them to live independently. We pray for those being tempted and in despair. Please show them the hope they have in you. We pray for those who mourn, who have lost loved ones recently. Please comfort them with your love. Teach us our gracious God to begin our works with reverence, to go on in them with obedience and finish them with love, to wait patiently in hope and with cheerfulness to look upon you whose promises are faithful and whose rewards are infinite. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.